Okay. Hi, Mark. I just had a coffee over at your place with a friend from Fredericton. Middle of October, sitting outside and, and drinking coffee was really great. So welcome to the PTS Pathways to Stillness podcast series. I'm Dr. Gary Irwin Kenyon. I'm a gerontologist and a Tai Chi teacher. I decided to create this series after receiving many heartfelt responses to my book, Pathways to Stillness, Reflect, Release, Renew, which is available on Amazon, Indigo, Friesen Press, and in audiobook form from Audible and iTunes. You're also invited to check out my website at pathwaystostillness.org. As with my book, this podcast invites you to a conversation about how it is possible to discover your own pathways to meaning, peace, and stillness, even during these times of heightened anxiety, confusion, and rapid change. We are helped on our own journey to stillness by listening to the wisdom in each other's stories. In Chapter 6 of my book, which is titled Finding Your Way, I give you more guidelines for your exploration, as well as examples of others who have discovered meaning and stillness in their lives. Previous guests have included Thomas Moore, who among many other books wrote Care of the Soul, and Dr. Bill Randall, co-founder of Narrative Gerontology. In this series, I'm in conversation with Mark McGuire, owner of McGuire Chocolate and Cafe in St. Andrews, New Brunswick. My interest in Mark stems from a conversation we had about how he got started. His is truly a 21st century pathway. He learned many of his his, uh, knowledge, derived much of his knowledge, on the internet, and uh, in my opinion, produces artisanal quality products, chocolate, bread, ice cream, which usually require quite an apprenticeship. So that fascinated me, and so I thought he would be a really good guest. Plus, he has a very interesting life story background, which works directly with our podcast. So welcome, Mark. And the first thing I'd like to ask you is, how did you get here to McGuire Chocolate and Cafe in St. Andrews, New Brunswick? I uh, Just uh, one point before you, I turn it over to you, I recall in our conversation you started out with doing a lot of accounting, and then you mentioned you had some kind of a crash with that and moved on from there. So you may repeat what I just said, but that's the way we can start. And uh, so welcome, and I turn things over to you. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Gary. I was reading your book, and a lot of the concepts resonated with me, but the one that really stood out most is the looking at your life as a story. It's something that I I have always tend to do. Uh, I I look at my various adventures and, and, and group them into sort of chapters in my life. And I think it's a very interesting way to kind of follow your own story and and create that narrative. So I'm going to talk a little bit today uh, about that story, sort of Coles notes it a little bit on some of the relevant points. But uh, we'll go through some key events that have happened to me throughout my life and, and have led me to where I am today. So the first major event that, that I can say that really drove uh, my, my life heading in this direction, it happened about 28 years ago. My father passed away when I was five years old. Being faced with the 
the idea of mortality at such a young age, I had really sort of thought through a lot kind of growing up time and, and realizing that you, we don't necessarily know how much time any of us have on this earth. So I, I've always sort of taken the approach to enjoy myself and enjoy whatever I'm doing to, to really just throw myself into it and, and just be really confident and happy that I'm doing things that I like to do and, and not just kind of front-loading it, not sacrificing up front to, to have a good life later, really just sort of in, in, indulge throughout. Uh, so that, that sort of was a foundation that I've tried to live through my whole life. And now if we flash forward to uh, just graduating university, I was about 22 years old and I had a very unique opportunity presented to me. I was on the path of becoming a professional accountant. I, that was my passion. I, I really like numbers. I really like uh, to get in there and, and, and break things down. It, it's just, that's just my nature. Um, and so I, I was gung-ho heading in that direction, but I sort of fell into an IT contract. It was something that I never considered doing. It just never even crossed my mind. I didn't have a particular interest in IT for any of my university courses, but I had an opportunity to join a project for a very short window of time uh, of intense planning and implementation. And coming out of that, it really made me more aware of some options that I could, I could follow that would give me an opportunity to have some, some stronger lifestyle controls. I had always thought that I would get into my career and I would work really hard and later on I could have some freedom to, to have some personal space. But what IT did was, and, and IT projects specifically, the, the nature of the, the industry is you, you get onto a project that has clear deliverables and you work really hard towards implementing your, your deliverables and then at the end you, you put it in a nice box, you put it away and, and, and you move on. And so for me, coming out onto that at a, in my early 20s, what it allowed me to do was to just take control of my time, to really say if I, if I want to work really hard and I, I want to be a workhorse, I can do that. And if I want to have more gaps in between contracts, I can control that as well. And that really created an environment of space for me to explore, whether it's kind of personal endeavors or traveling. Uh, up until this point in my life, I had actually never read a book for enjoyment. I had my, my reading materials were textbooks, articles, like current events, news, like, and I loved it. That was, that was, I, I liked to do it, but it, it was a different sort of perspective uh, to kind of sit down and, and say that I'm, I'm not going to be completely, you know, dedicated towards one thing. I've got some, some room to explore. Uh, so that was a really big turning point for me was being able to, um, to, to do that. And, and at the time I was staring at a, a mountain of student loan debt. I had financed my entire university career through student loans. Uh, and so I, I, being a, a 
a finance and accounting major. I, I understood the time value of money. If you have debt, and the more time that's going on, the, the less money you have. Uh, the, the interest is, is cutting that down for you. If you get rid of your debt and then you get investments, they grow. So over time, your money goes up. So I had a real motivation to sort of get out of the red and into the black. And once I could do that, then I could really sort of enjoy my time a little bit more. So uh, there was a heavy motivation for me. And, and so I really jumped on the IT bandwagon and I spent my 20s really immersing myself in IT and different concepts, which was fun and challenging and always sort of new. It's a dynamic industry. It's always changing. Uh, so and, and that really kind of suited my personality as well, too. I, I like to accomplish goals. I like to learn new things. And so it, it was a very nice thing for me to be able to find that early on. Um, and so as I, I got older, food started to play a, a bigger role in my life. Growing up in the world of sports, I was always health conscious. But what I would do is I would look at the nutritional information I'd look at your, your protein, your carbs, your fats, and, th and that was the information I was really interested in. What I wasn't doing was looking at ingredient lists. And so I, a light bulb kind of went off for me at, at, at some point, and I really started looking at the components that make up your food. Uh, and, and it was just staggering to really see what is going into the foods that we're, we're consuming when we don't Think about it. And so I, I made a, a rule with myself to not buy anything that had ingredients which I don't have in my home kitchen or that I've never had. And so that founding principle is the foundation that my business stands on today. That need for simplicity and also a connection to the food that we eat, understanding where it comes from. I used to love just going to the farmer's market and just walking around and talking to vendors and just learning about the different foods that they have, whether they were growing them, producing them or, or buying them from afar. Like understanding the story of our food was something that really captivated me. And so I, I had just to, to jump ahead more to the actual incubation period for McGuire chocolate. I had just finished a string of contracts and then I had done a, a good run of traveling and I was very tired. I found my way to a little surf town in Nicaragua where I was uh, doing some surfing, some yoga, just relaxing. It was also tax season so I, uh, I log in and do some taxes and earn a little bit of money to float, help float the travels which never hurts. And so from there, I found a, a yoga program that I wanted to do, and that was in uh, Oaxaca, Mexico. So I was in Nicaragua. It's about 1,800 kilometers away through Central America. Um, and I decided I had a month to get there. So what a great opportunity to sort of explore Central America a little bit. I, I had a little bit of a failed motorcycle experiment and decided that the way I was going to get there was to hitchhike. And so I, I was taking Spanish lessons at a, a school 
and I got connected with a family to take me in and they didn't speak any English. So I was trying to accelerate my Spanish language skills to sort of help me navigate the waters of Central America. I wish that I could say that, that I had you know, wonderful success with that, but I was a long way away from conversational communication uh, in Spanish. So as I began my, my journey, my first day wasn't going super successful. But I was inching my way forward. I was, I was moving in the right direction at least. And uh, I was overnighting at a hostel where I, I just sort of ran into a couple of guys, young, young Swedish guys, Noah and Lucas. And we had realized that we were all heading to Mexico. And so they became my travel companions. And we didn't actually realize it for a, a couple of days that we were actually heading to the exact same state in Mexico. Part of the, the confusion was that I couldn't pronounce Oaxaca. I was pronouncing it phonetically in English, Oaxaca. And so they would just be like, oh, okay, you're heading, okay, I don't understand. But, uh, and so once they, they eventually realized, they saw it written down in my notebook where I was headed, they're like, oh, this is amazing. We're actually going to the same place. So we spent a month together traveling and they had an element to them that was incredibly invaluable to our travels and that Lucas, he moved to Mexico straight after high school, which was two years previous, to learn Spanish. And so he was, at this point, not only fluent in Spanish, but in the local accent and the dialect. So when people would look at us, they you know, immediately were, were the three gringos. But the second Lucas started talking, it was like people's jaws hit the floor. Uh, and it was just like an, an immediate acceptance and embrace that we just felt this warm love from everybody that we came in contact with to the point where we made our whole way through back ways, back roads, people telling us different, different things we've got to do and see. Uh, instead of staying in hotels, we were staying at people's houses who uh, wanted to just take us in and make sure that we were having a, a safe and enjoyable journey and sharing stories and getting to know people at on a level that just wouldn't have been possible without. So it was a really sort of inspiring experience to go through that. And so one thing that was, was pivotal, and I had no idea it was at the time, but they were traveling with a bag of cacao. And so I had never seen cacao before. It was the, the bean or the seed that goes into chocolate, but when you touch it and you feel it and you taste it and you smell it, it, it doesn't, like chocolate is not what comes to mind. It's more of a, a nut, like an astringent nut. But it's an incredibly nutrient-rich seed is what it really is. It's a seed of a tropical fruit. And so you eat cacao as you're traveling and it, it gives you energy, it, it, it kind of sharpens your, you, you mentally, it, it, it's just like a, a, it's a superfood. And so we were just snacking on cacao the whole way and I'm just pondering like how does this become chocolate? Can I make this into chocolate? And just kind of that, that seed, if you will, was planted. But we eventually got to Mexico and I, I settled in for a month of yoga and just kind of connecting uh, in, in a little coastal village in, in uh, Mazunte, Mexico. And so 
realized that a lot of the people that I was there with, they knew about cacao. And so we did, we did like um, a, a cacao ceremony, tr- consuming it in the, the traditional manner, which is a drink. And we, we did different like uh, raw baked goods, pairing them with dates and avocados and honeys to make brownies. Uh, and so we had all these uses for cacao, but none of them were chocolate per se. And so I decided that I was going to try to make chocolate, not knowing how to do it. And, and nobody around me knew how, but we were just kind of playing around. And I thought that I could, I could pan fry it. And when you do that, it's like roasting it. It, it. All of the aromas of chocolate go into the air and it's just like, all of a sudden it's, you understand that, yeah, this becomes chocolate. So pan fry it, peel the, the shell off of it. And then I thought I could just food process it and then return it to the pan and melt it. And then that would be chocolate, but it didn't melt it. That, that didn't work. So just kind of, all right, neat experiment and moved on. And it was uh, sometime later I was in a market and I saw somebody with chocolate there that he had made. And I was very like, how'd you do this? Like what? Like, and so he, he turned and he pointed to his meat grinder and it just like making hamburgers, you pass it through a hand crank through the little holes and, and uh, see cacao is, is 50% fat. So you can activate the fat and begin the process of liquefying it uh, by putting pressure on it. And so that, that's what, what he was doing. And so uh, I had my bag of cacao and I wanted to make some chocolate. So you just hand crank it all the way through and then when it's out, put it back through and do it again. And this is where you put in your sugar and then it pushes them together and, and eventually you have a paste-like chocolate thing you can kind of push together into a bar. And so it was cool, but it wasn't fully satisfying my interest into how how do I get the chocolate that I'm more familiar with and so I I bought a suitcase and I bought some more cacao and I filled my suitcase filled with cacao and I I made my way to an international airport and came home to Calgary and so while I was there I wanted to figure out how to make chocolate can't be that hard. There's all kinds of chocolate people around. I'm going to just take my bag of cacao and walk around and I'll, I'll figure this out. And so I went into every chocolate shop that I, I could find. Uh, and it was a very common recurring conversation that uh, w- the places I were going into were chocolatiers. And so a chocolatier starts with chocolate and melts it down and then makes confections and and truffles and candies and all sorts of fun stuff but never in the process does cacao come into the play and so I was kind of like going through it's like okay I couldn't find anybody that actually made chocolate or that could talk to me about it but I I did walk into uh, a kitchen that I I ran into a, a very sort of distinguished a gentleman with a French accent and I could tell that that like I was asking questions about his machinery and like what does that do and and we were he, he knew quite a bit about cacao and so I didn't know it at the time but I was speaking to the heir of the largest chocolate 
company in the world his family had had started uh, and he moved to Calgary in the 80s to transform chocolatiering in Western Canada and so when I came across him he was in a small kitchen and I immediately said like I just want to work here uh, I, I want to, to just be in this environment and, and like you don't have to pay me you just I just want to, to be here and learn and he, he took me on and, and, he, and he did pay me and it, we spent four months together. I got to work under Bernard and uh, directly with him and I was making chocolates and, and different, different items in his factory and also selling the chocolate in the market. So it was a really cool experience for me. While I wasn't working with cacao, I was learning a ton about chocolate and I was, I was learning a lot about being in a factory, which was really, really kind of cool stuff. Being with an accounting background, I very much took to sort of the cost accounting element of it. What are the drivers of, of the cost and, and sort of the activities and the flows like that for me is, uh, is, is interesting stuff. So I was kind of on cloud nine for that little bit. And another neat thing about working in Bernard's Kitchen was that there was a lot of people in the city that wanted to work for Bernard. So there was a steady stream of, of people that would come in for a week or a month. And so I got to, to meet a lot of people in the industry and, and, and talk to them, uh, which really, uh, looking back on it, was a, a super cool element to the whole thing. And so I was one day, you know, working and yammering away about cacao and I, there was a culinary student through and she said, you should check out this blog. Uh, it, it, they talk about chocolate making from cacao. Uh, and that was kind of, for me, just like a pivotal moment where, okay, I go home and there it is. It's, it's all laid out, all the questions that I had. Uh, everything that I wanted to know, it was all kind of neatly put together uh, by the chocolate alchemist. And so what I learned was that the craft chocolate industry was in its very grassroots stages. So prior to the late 1990s, all of the chocolate in the world was being made by a handful of very large companies. And so these large producers would sell chocolate to thousands of chocolatiers uh, who would then go and, and do their thing. But there were no small makers making chocolate from cacao beans. And that all changed in, in 1996. There, there was the very first chocolate maker. He got his company started, or the first one in, in 50 years at least. Uh, and so he grew his company. There's no supply chain. There's no way to buy small amounts of cacao. There was no equipment to process it. The whole industry was non-existent. So you had to make things. You had to go out and find beans. You, you, you had, the industry had to be built. And so this company did that. Uh, there was two gentlemen and, uh, they, they did that until the early two thousands when Hershey bought them out and then shut down the company. And so from that, a, a wave of just, a, a wave of chocolate makers sort of sprung up. Like word got out, there's, you know, 
chocolate you can make it from cacao beans this sort of stuff that i was realizing uh, 10 years later that that had all sort of got moving and rolling and so by 2015 when i learned about when i was on my chocolate journey things were really starting to take shape the chocolate alchemy blog actually bought large quantities of cacao and then repackaged it down and then sold it so that i could buy 10 pounds of cacao at a time they sold repurposed Indian spice grinders that you can use and you soup it up with a, a nice motor and you can use that to grind the cacao. Coffee roasters repurposed into to doing cacao and then blogs of people trying and questions being asked and a whole online community of chocolate making. It, it was a craft chocolate revolution. And so I saw this at the very you know, early stages, but also a very approachable stage. And so immediately that day, I said, I'm going to invest in all of the equipment that I think that I need. And I, I was reading on the blog that different cacao beans taste differently, depending on the, the area they come from, the genetics, the fermentation that's happening to them. And so I thought, I mean, how different could they all taste? but I wanted to run an experiment myself. So I bought 10 different bags of cacao, 10 pounds of 10 different cacao origins from all over the world. And, and I got the equipment and I said, I'm going to set up a home factory and I'm going to make chocolate. And then with that, I also decided to take a chocolate making course. Uh, it was kind of a chocolate making slash chocolate tasting. It wasn't practical. We weren't actually making chocolate. It's a, an international sort of online course where you read about in-depth uh, industry analysis and, and kind of what the challenges are from the, the farmer's perspective and, and sourcing and how to differentiate quality and, and kind of getting this crash course on chocolate. Uh, and so at the same time, I was setting up my factory at home and kind of working everything out. There was lots of, of hiccups along the way. I had to build some pieces of equipment. I had to just kind of tweak things as I, I went along. Some pieces of equipment didn't work out. I had to get other ones in and just sort of get familiar with the whole process. So it, it took me 10 months to make the, those batches of chocolate. And, and in the meantime, I wasn't making chocolate and then eating it or distributing or getting people's opinions on it. I was, I was making 10 batches of chocolate and then having a comparison. So it was all, it could all be weight and you could just at the end taste them all side by side. And, and that was how I wanted to, to launch the business. Uh, and, and at the same time in these 10 months, I was really testing the business viability of it all. I, I never considered it a hobby. I always considered it, is this something that I can I can make a living at. And so just to back up a little bit, when I was looking at my career options in, in my early 20s and thinking, do I go the route that has some sacrifice up front, uh, but maybe some more stability long term? Or do I go the route that has more cash flow and flexibility up front, uh, but less stability? When I really looked at it, I I kind of came to the conclusion that neither one of them was what I really wanted to do. And so 
it really came down to what, what do I want out of life? It, when I started to dig deeper on, on that, what do I want? Why do I want it? The answers I was coming back with had nothing to do with work at all. It, 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 it was deeper than that. I knew that I wanted to have a family and that I wanted to be able to spend time with my family and that I, you know, whenever that was going to, to take shape, I, I wanted to be in a position where I wouldn't have to be racing off to work just to race back. Uh, and so when I really kind of looked at, at what I could do to satisfy that, you, you look at, at passive income, the income that you can make where you're, you're not trading your time for it, uh, but that can take time to build up. And so another hands-on element that also worked was entrepreneurship. And so entrepreneurship, I've always been entrepreneurial focused. I, I, I've always sort of had that drive in me, that self-motivation. But I, I didn't want, like, I, I really liked working contract work because it was non-committal. I wanted to, when I found the business that I thought I could build around and build off of and something that would be inclusive uh, to have the family involved with. I, I wanted to really be patient and make sure that, that, that I found the right situation and I wasn't just like starting and stopping a bunch of things. And so that, that's really what I was testing in this first early year was, am I able to make a chocolate bar that people will want to buy? And am I able to make a chocolate bar that and sell it for a price that I can I can make money off of and and use to further grow and and and, and invest and grow the company, and so it it was just a lot of a lot of analysis and and kind of working that out at the same time developing a brand getting a website going I I knew the business model and especially to start was direct to consumer and that that's that's where you're going to test your market out the best anyhow and, and understand customer feedback and like it, it was all built around uh, direct to consumer and so in this sort of vacuum that I was living in uh, I didn't step outside my vacuum very often but I met Victoria and Victoria is my my now my wife and the love of my life and it, it was kind of one of those things that we fell fast fast into uh, a level of, of comfort and, and familiarity that, that was just like, it was just there. And so when I met Victoria, I, my face was covered in chocolate and, uh, you know, I, I was very much in this world. And I, of course, you don't want to scare anybody like, hey, you know, come over to my place. And it's not really a, an apartment. It's more like a chocolate factory. There's no furniture. There's <laughs> There's just... A chocolate equipment uh, <laughs> and so it, it went really well I, I mean I wasn't presenting it as this is something that I'm you know I'm doing and it's 100% it's more like I'm feeling it out where we're seeing kind of you know exploring this new space and seeing if something can happen and so it was really amazing Victoria just took to it 
we started roasting cacao and tasting the beans before and after the roasting and seeing that transformation and then she just got very involved in okay well what if we do this one a little bit lighter and 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 so like just involved in the in the process and and it was something that we were able to do and because the company was new and our relationship was new it all kind of grew together a lot of it was outside of our comfort zones but we were we were always kind of doing it hand in hand and and, and together and and having that support really sort of allowed everything to flourish i i think and so we launched and we started selling chocolate bars and it was it was it was good it was interesting we were getting lots of feedback and like uh making all kinds of decisions and adjustments and we we ended up moving to get into a space that we could get a commercial designation on and so it took us a little while to find a uh, a house it was we were we were looking to rent and but we wanted to renovate the basement and turn it into a commercial factory down there and then live upstairs so it took a little while to find a landlord that would allow us to do uh, such a thing uh, but we ended up finding an amazing amazing house uh, it had a really beautiful garden in the backyard and uh, it, it was just the perfect space for us and at, when i think of uh, my my happy place my my uh, my place of stillness it, it was our little factory that we we built up we did all the renos and none of us were really super comfortable with renos we just you know just did what we had to do and uh it was you know a nice blue very vi- vibrant and uh all kinds of issues and stuff and things that we worked through and and uh we got this really nice space that we would come home both of us i both of us were working uh full time i uh, i had a, a a contract through the whole time here and so we would come home from work and then work in the evenings together in our factory and it was just our space and and we were we were trying new new cacao beans and and making purchasing decisions and and making how to making chocolate and and uh, going out to markets on the weekends and selling it and because we were in a commercial space we could distribute to stores uh and and the business really started to to grow and and it was a nice healthy organic growth nothing crazy like uh it just like and, and our social media neither of us were really big social media people but we knew that it was really important uh to have that part of your have that as part of the business so uh we took that on and and you could see it sort of in our follower growth like it wasn't exploding but it was con- like just trending upwards all the time and which for us felt good it felt comfortable it felt it felt like it was real and it was natural and as we would talk to people and share our stories and get them to taste the chocolate um it it all sort of unraveled and and um we got to a point where we were pretty busy and and we were producing chocolate at, as much as we could machines were running 24/7 all all day all week all month all year uh we had three melangers grinding and and uh and we needed to scale we needed to get to a a bigger space but we couldn't put commercial equipment in our existing factory that the electrical requirements it just it wasn't going to work 
So we needed to find a new space. And so it wasn't just like, okay, we've got to find a, a, a new space. Let's go and do it. it, it, it it's a, a grander picture where we were both kind of coming into our 30s and it, it was uh, the next chapter of our life. And so we put in a lot of thought into what we wanted the business to become, where we wanted to live uh, and start a family, uh, what would that work-life balance look like, and how can we ensure that the business will, will be successful. So we ran through a whole bunch of different scenarios, uh, business plans, business models, and, and uh, we, we kind of narrowed down sort of our requirements for what we needed, and we looked for it was about a year and a half like more casually in the beginning but then you know a lot more intense we were traveling to v visit properties and we were we were really getting uh closer to the the jumping point where we would leave our jobs pack up our life and go full time as as chocolate makers we knew that we wanted to have some additional revenue streams it, it's never prudent to to simply rely on on one revenue stream because anything can happen and when that gets cut off you got to have you got to have some other options and so among the the scenarios that we were we were planning i was learning how to make ice cream and because it it kind of pairs really well with chocolate one we can we can make awesome chocolate and then put it in the ice cream and it can it can you know be a, a way to showcase the chocolate in a different light uh, but also more on the seasonal aspects of it. So chocolate um, has some times of the year that are busier than other times. And the summer can be a, a harder time because of the temperature. And so ice cream is, is all about the summer. So I was learning how to make ice cream. Uh, and Victoria was learning how to make bread. And we were just kind of learning our, our crafts and spent uh, a, a good year sort of playing around and, and testing things out. And so when we found the property that we're, we're currently in, in, in St. Andrews, St. Andrews was on our, our short list. It, it, we had it really narrowed down to, to our two sort of ideal places to land. And, and, uh, but really a lot of it came, came down to the actual property itself. We needed to live above the factory. Um, it was the only life we'd ever known uh, and it was really hard to uh, consider having any sort of space in between us and, and the chocolate because it's a 24-hour thing. Uh, you always at any moment can have to react to things. So having that proximity to the chocolate was kind of uh, uh, important for us but also one mortgage uh, just so that from a, a a tax perspective we can keep things neat and tidy and uh, again in the early stages of a business cash flow is really important to protect and so we want it to be as lean as possible food manufacturing is not really high that's not a high margin game so the the more under control your overhead can be the the better chance you are you're going to have for success so we found the, the space that we're in, which is it's got lots of, lots of room for our production and, and uh, we're able to live above. And so it was really sort of one of those just 
best case scenarios and we 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 bought it sight unseen and just packed up we sold all of our personal belongings and just packed up the factory uh and drove across the country and and settled settled into our our new life in saint andrews well mark a wonderful story absolutely wonderful story i was just reflecting as you were speaking that it is a lot about what the podcast series is about and what my book is about the idea that um, these things come to us it's kind of it's kind of interesting perhaps a little ineffable how things come to us right uh, you were traveling why you became interested in cacao why, why why would that happen you don't need an answer to that but it's it's uh, interesting how we come to a pathway and then you're open to it you're curious about it and you start to follow that pathway and things things happen right you meet people like you met the Swedish guys and you go to uh, Mexico and you do some yoga things and you mentioned when we were speaking before how that also got your interest in ingredients and healthy food going which really stuck with you and then you met the guy at the market and then the mentor I would call him a mentor in Calgary, who was one of the few making chocolate, met other people, connected with them, found this blog, and it just keeps on going one step to the next. It's, uh, it's wonderful to, to hear that. Thank you for listening to the Pathways to Stillness podcast series. My book, Pathways to Stillness, Reflect, Release, Renew, is available on Amazon indigo chapters and freezing press it is also available in audiobook form from audible amazon and itunes